Hi everyone, welcome to How Did You Gain a Testimony. I interview all different kinds of people to figure out how they gained a testimony in hopes that you can relate to one of them and find comfort in their journey. Finding Jesus Christ is different for everyone and I hope all these different stories can help you. Today, I interview Emily Taylor. She kind of does a really good job of giving herself an intro in this episode, so I kind of just want to let her take it away, but she shares so many insightful stories to back up her points and advice. Um, and her conversion experience really is so beautiful. So I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. I'm here today with Emily Taylor. Emily, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Um, I'm Emily. I was Emily DeSchweinitz for a long time and Taylor now. Uh, I grew up in Palo Alto, California, which was a fantastic place to grow up. I loved it. I'm the third of five children. Uh, my parents both joined the church at different times when they were young adults. Uh, I, ha I now have five children and live in Provo, Utah. We've been here for about five years and I'm finishing up a PhD and I'm studying when there are political religious differences in families, what keeps them connected. Uh, having had that my experience, my experience growing up and then uh, trying to help people to remain connected. So that's just a little bit about me. Yeah, no, that was great. Me and Emily know each other actually because we, so you're working under Sam Hardy for your mm -hmm. doctorate program, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then I'm on Sam Hardy's research team for psychology things. So that's kind of how we got connected. And I'm just super yes. excited to interview Emily today. Um, do you want to, let's start with like, where did you grow up? Um, and then like, what influence did the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints play in your life growing up? Like, what did that look like? Um, yes. So like I mentioned, my parents both joined the church as young adults at different times. My father joined, and this will make sense why I'm sharing this kind of background, but uh, my father joined the church while he was uh, living in Alabama in the early 1960s. And he dated a girl in Alabama. It introduced him to the church. He was initially really interested, was baptized, and then he kind of fell away and had difficulties. A lot of the kind of civil rights movement played into that. Yeah. Then um, he met my mom who had always been super religious and they, uh, they started dating. My dad never had shared that he had been a member of the church before they got married. So when they went around church shopping and not finding a church that they kind of both agreed on, my dad, you know, finally was like, well, I used to be a member of this church. Why don't we try it out? And my mom went and was immediately drawn to the doctrine. She had had serious doctrinal um, questions throughout her childhood into her young adulthood, and she kind of found her home. So growing up in that, I, I again, like I grew up in Palo Alto, California. It's a highly intellectual place um, right next to Stanford University. Um, but I was surrounded by some of the most amazing people, um, meaning that they were both very intellectual and like capable people out in the world, but they were also highly dedicated um, to the church, you know, speaking of church members. So for me and my story, they, uh, I would say my ward family, meaning like my congregation, my, that, that influence was huge and me wanting to figure out why all of these fantastic people chose to live the, the way that they did. 
Yeah. Wow, that was beautiful. That's such a cool story about your parents coming to know the church. Did they share their testimony a lot, like, with you and your siblings? That's a good question. Actually, um, no. <laughs> okay. But I'll explain why. Uh, I think, again, my father's still alive, and he could probably speak for himself, but I think he ha- continued to have a lot of religious doubt, even mm-hmm. though with my mother kind of finding her spiritual home, my dad, I think not fully unwillingly, but somewhat came along with that. Uh, but it was actually a point of tension in our home. So I didn't grow up with uh, family home evening and reading mm-hmm. you know, scriptures together. It was actually because it was a point of contention. We often didn't do much besides, you know, pray over meals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, as I grew into my kind of teenagehood, I kind of, I started to ask more questions about that, um, knowing that it was a source of tension, but then also being really wrapped up in the lives of many, many wonderful families that we all enjoyed being with. And so again, like it was kind of a personal search for me because my family life was not really the place for me to discover that because it was a source of tension. Yeah. So how did that uh like affect your testimony as a child you're saying that you had to kind of do a little bit of self-discovery but like Mm -hmm. what were those like younger childhood days looking like like when you would go to church did you believe when you were like with your peers were you like I'm a member of this church how'd that look yeah good question so I have a very distinct memory of being in a primary class and the teacher showed a picture it was an outline of the United States and it had uh Jesus superimposed on it like walking Mm -hmm. and I was like what is that like I have no idea what that means like why why is Jesus in America (laughs) so so in my ignorance right I mean if you grew up in a home where you you know read the book of Mormon all the time and you know it was really common to talk about the resurrected Christ coming to the Americas Uh, That picture may have made sense, but for me, not having that background, it was really confusing. So when I, and I'll, I'll, I'll share this because it's very important to the story. When I was about 13 going on to 14, uh, I really, I really was struggling kind of just growing into adolescence and feeling like my life mattered and I, I had meaning so I, I had, I struggled with anorexia and eating disorder and um, I knew that there are a lot of good people around me and I, for probably really the first time, sorry, started to pray and mm-hmm. I didn't pray with belief. I prayed with a hope that someone or something could understand me and listen to me and yes. I remember praying at first and not feeling anything, but eventually as I persisted in doing it, I could feel someone listening. I didn't know much about who that being was. I mean, I I knew a lot of factual things, but I didn't know who that being was to me, but I could feel someone listening. And that kind of began my real study of the gospel. So it was a very personal experience Um, but motivated by kind of just total angst of just not feeling like life had much meaning for me personally. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I, and I, 
interestingly, did not read the Book of Mormon first. I read the Doctrine and Covenants. And no I, way. Yeah, I loved it because it's very, very direct. If yeah. you're doing something that wasn't good, <laughs> you, you'd get called out if you, you know, I, I appreciated the, the sincerity and also the directness of how God spoke. So I was mm -hmm. learning to understand how God speaks to others and how he spoke to me. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. So how did you find motivation in the church? Um, I would just say I was just, like I said, wrapped up in the lives of some of just really kind and wonderful people mm. who were, you know, my church leaders, they were, you know, young women's advisors, and I could ask a lot of questions. We actually, questions were not prohibited, at least where I grew up. Yeah, um, I never felt like there were things that were kind of off, you know, out of bounds in terms of asking. Uh, one other story, if it's okay, I think relates yeah. to this as well. So I kind of got started around 14 of feeling and knowing that God existed. Mm. A lot of things that didn't make sense to me. I, you know, I didn't at that time really think as much about a savior or atonement. For me, it was just, if God existed, does he know me and does he listen to me? And, um, Around my sophomore year of high school, I uh, received my patriarchal blessing, and that was a really powerful experience, again, to hear. And it was the ad addressing of the blessing was very much he Heavenly Father speaking to me. And I still had a lot of questions, which, you know, uh, it's been kind of a long trajectory of my life, asking questions and getting answers and having strength and faith. But that summer, I had a chance to go to France as an exchange student, and wow. I had a lot of questions still. I wasn't as desperate as when I was 14, but I had things I wanted to know. And so I saw at the time, there's no such thing as an internet. And I was just staying with different people who are not um, LDS. So I searched out where the church was, and I couldn't find it. Um, and finally, uh, after a few weeks of trying in France, my friend who I was staying with walked me to the church building. And the minute I stepped in the building, I just felt overwhelmed with the spirit. Um, I just remember sitting next to an old lady, you know, singing the hymns in French. And I just felt this sense of not only community, but just God knew exactly where I was. That's the feeling. Just like I knew before he had, someone was listening to me and this felt like he knew exactly where I was. Um, one further part of that was, um, again, like, I feel like my testimony has been gradual, but it's been like a series of gradual, very pivotal moments. For sure. So I was in sun the Sunday school class, you know, with all these 14 year olds, everybody's just chatting and not really listening to the teacher. I had, I was having a very spiritual experience, but it was kind of a rowdy class. Mm -hmm. And this young woman kept asking me to come over to her house for lunch. And I was just like, oh, my host family is not going to like that. They're going to worry. They already think the church is a little odd and that I'm, you know, from a different country. They should watch out for me. But she persisted so much that I called the family in the bishop's office afterwards and was just like, hey, I'm going to go to lunch with this family. They're going to bring me home later. Anyway, I go to the family's house. It's a very humble apartment, um, not a wealthy family at all. And I'm having a meal with them. 
And the mom, this is all in French, mind you. I speak French, but not like awesome, but I could understand everything they were saying. And she turned to me and she said, and how's your testimony of Jesus Christ, you know, of the gospel? And I was just like, ooh, I felt like really singled out. But like, I just, I just told her, I said, I have so many questions. And she said, you need to talk to my daughter, the one that had invited me originally to the home. And I had the chance to ask all of my questions for about three hours to this um, young 14-year-old girl who had some very spiritual experiences in her life and in the, the barren Switzerland temple. And it was so non-coincidental. Yeah, wow. So, and I just remember being in there. The, the mom drove us home in an old De Chevaux car. It's a little teeny old French car, kind of like a Volkswagen bug <laughs> with the top down. And we're driving through the fields of um, Southern France and both Virginie and I are just raising our hands and talk about being seen by God and feeling sure. like he knew where I was and that he wanted me to know he was real. So, What? That is such a beautiful experience to be able to feel God's love for you individually mm-hmm. and such, like through other people. I think I'm so grateful to that girl that she was living her life in a way that God could be, could use her as an instrument and speak to you through her. So that's so cool. Yeah, for sure. What kind of strategies did you employ or like what kind of things did you do to keep that spiritual momentum with you throughout Mm -hmm. the next two years of high school? Sure. I think because of where I grew up, I was really an oddity. There were so few of us who were not even just members of the church, but who were openly religious. There's a lot of pressure, at least where I grew up, to not to really compartmentalize. So I had my religious life and then I had my school life. Um, But what helped was, again, like I had I did have really good friends in the church, even though they were pretty different. But personality wise than me, we we supported and hung out with each other. But I also had really like interesting experiences at school. I mean, one pivotal experience was walking into my English class, my favorite teacher. I just loved him. He was such a good teacher. And he started out our whole lecture or discussion for the class that day when I was a junior and just said, okay, as we all know, people who believe in God are needing a crutch for their suffering. (laughs) And I was like, so... Like what? Like I like again, this was coming out of the mouth of someone who I knew respected me, but I like couldn't believe that he said that. And I I knew most people weren't religious, so I didn't I just didn't say anything. And there was a boy who was kind of a partier guy, but really like fun and outgoing, um, named Derek. And he actually, like after the pause, he actually raised his hand. I still remember it. And he's like, Hey, Mr. So and so there are people in here who probably believe in God. We should, you know, we should respect that or something like that. And I was like, Oh, that was pretty interesting. Like he, I knew Derek didn't believe in God, but he would kind of stand up for me. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it was the combination of friends, continued spiritual experiences and Mm. kind of hope that I would find a place where I could mix like, the spiritual and the intellectual, I always felt like I had to separate them in yeah. high school. So I kind of was looking forward to BYU and hoping that I would have that experience. Yeah. 
Um, like at this point, do you feel like you were like pretty firm in your testimony and you were firm in the church? Um, I felt like I was firm in my testimony of God, the father, okay. but I did not, I don't, I, I think it's because I wasn't, didn't consider myself like this big sinner. That sounds bad, but that's kind of how yeah. I just didn't think, I didn't understand how you could pray to God, the father through the name of Jesus Christ. And then like, I knew the Holy ghost was real and I knew God, the father was real, but I didn't intellectually understand the idea of the atonement and like how it fit in. So that was kind of to come later, I would say, in my college years. Yeah. Um, so how did you decide to go to BYU? Um, it was kind of expected by everyone. Okay. <laughs> and I kind of fought it. Um, so it's I, I knew I could get in at that time. Like I had the grades and everything. So I, I went to BYU, but I actually had a really terrible first year. No. Um, and I feel bad about saying that. But I... Again, like I didn't have the background of any LDS family or I wasn't familiar with the Utah culture and I wasn't used to being surrounded by all these people who said they believe the same thing as me. For that sure. was really different because it would be a key part of my identity in Palo Alto to be a member of the church. And then when you go to BYU, you're just one of the, you know, tens of thousands. So, yeah. Um. I actually almost transferred uh, away from BYU after my freshman year. Um, it wasn't that the teachers weren't good or anything. It was just, it was, I didn't find my people and kind of feel comfortable. Um, but I received a blessing the summer of before, um, after my freshman year, a really good family friend. And right after he just said, well, would you be willing to go back if you could live with so-and-so? who was a friend from my home ward. And it was like that just, I was like, I think I could do it if she was my roommate. It's really positive. And so that set me on a different trajectory. And I ended up studying in Israel and really trying to work out like, who is Christ? How does he matter to me? And I still couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Um, did you go study at the BYU Jerusalem Center? I did. Yeah, I was wow. there. When we went. I was there for five months. So I really like. I was very sincere about you know trying to gain a testimony of Christ, and I just I didn't feel it. I felt a testimony of other things, but not of that. But then I started to have a really strong prompting that I need to go on a mission. So wow. Um, I began my mission papers when I got back. And then many of us from that same study abroad, we all went on missions. So, but I still was like, why am I going when I don't, I'm not sure about this. Cause this seems like a huge piece of the puzzle. <laughs> what, like what year were you in college? Was this like the end of your sophomore year or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had finished my sophomore year and I was moving into my junior year. So, okay. And you put in your mission papers and, Tell me about the mission process. Like, how did Satan try to tempt you and stop you while doing that? And then how did Jesus strengthen you? Oh, yeah, that was... So, there was a young man. <laughs> there were a couple, actually. Okay. One I was waiting to have come back from his mission. And I really... Like, he's probably the first LDS guy that I've met that was, like, really, like... I, I thought maybe that's the kind of guy I could be with forever. Yeah. Um, so I was hoping that I, he, when he got back, I would be back, but my, I felt prompted to leave on my mission sooner than that. So, um, 
I put in my papers. I uh, went home for a little bit. Um, actually, a few days before I was supposed to leave to the MTC, I was in, I was going up to go skiing with some friends, and we got into a head-on collision. So okay. I was in, again, like I have some dramatic experiences, but I'm in the car and as it's happening, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't go on my mission. Cause I had been like not waffling, but just like feeling some hesitation. Yeah. And the minute it happened, I couldn't feel my legs. Um, so I was like, oh my gosh, I can't go on my mission. Like what's happened to me anyway. And my friend who is in the car, he gave me a blessing and I was promised that I would walk. So for a few days afterwards, I really couldn't walk, couldn't ease my legs, but the, all the feeling came back and then I left the MTC a week later. So wow. there was some opposition for sure, <laughs> but it actually was helpful because it helped solidify my desire to do it. Like I, yeah. I kind of, it was evident that there was opposition. So I was like, oh, I'm probably supposed to do this. <laughs> yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, how was your mission? Where did you serve? I served in Fukuoka, Japan, um, oh which is kind of funny because it's the same mission my older brother served in. And so our with parents who are converts, the only person who'd ever gone before me was my brother. So I thought for sure I'd go anywhere but his exact mission. But we both <laughs> we both went to the same mission at different times. Yeah. Um, and what was it like learning the language? Um, it was good. It was good. Um, I've got to tell a key experience in the MTC because sure. if, you, if you recall, my main hesitation was not having a firm testimony of Christ. Mm. And I really worried about that. Um, in the MTC, though, you do a lot of role playing and teaching of fellow missionaries. And I can't remember the name of the elder. He was, I think, in a different class, but still going to Japan. And he was kind of a punk, meaning like he just had a lot of sarcastic comments. So one time, because he didn't like either that I was really like diligent and like, you know, kind of overzealous. So he pretended like he was Satan <laughs> as my investigator. And I was like, oh, like just like dying that I have to teach this guy that's pretending to be Satan. And so I, in Japanese, I say, Yes, Christo wa tsukui no kekaku ni wa ichiban taisetsu namono desu, which means Jesus Christ. Sorry, I feel it every time I recount this story is the most important thing in the plan of salvation. Um, so I'm in the middle of teaching this kind of like immature elder. But when I say those words in Japanese, it was just. It's, it's like as powerful now when I say it as it was then just yeah. very clear that Jesus Christ was real. That didn't mean I knew a lot of things about him, but. I knew it was real and I trusted those feelings because I'd had so many spiritual experiences with heavenly father prior to that. So that kind of set, my mission was tough. I mean, you're in a one, a country with 1% Christianity. Wow. Um, and you know, I was pretty stressed. <laughs> like I, I was so worried about being a really good missionary that I probably um, stressed too much. If I did it again, I would laugh a lot more. And I would choke a lot more and enjoy the process. Um, but my mission really began my journey of uh, coming to know Christ and um, recognizing him as my savior. So, Wow. What, tell me about some of the triumphs that you experienced on your mission. 
Ooh, triumphs, I think. Well, I, I recently, I just this morning, I've kind of been primed to think about life experiences that are not coincidences. Mm. And I had some of those on my mission that were so strong. Um, one night, my companion and I were kind of, we were a little bit lost. We weren't completely lost, but in the big city, Fukuoka is at least a million people. It's probably bigger now. And we were in an area that was unfamiliar. It was getting to be dark. And we saw this very young couple, not very, but like, I mean, late teens coming towards us. And I just, as usual, asked them if they wanted to take English class. And within 10 minutes, we figured out that the young man had attended my high school in Palo Alto when I was body president. And he had pictures like of, uh, he had our yearbook at his house. And anyway, we ended up having dinner at his house and his father was of all trades, a professor of like Christianity in Asia. Wow. So again, they did, it's not like they joined the church or anything, but it was so obvious when we started talking and the circumstances just spoke that I want you to talk to this this young man, just open up your mouth. And um, one other experience, again, for me, it's all that the, the relationships are all intertwined with my testimony. Um, I was sitting at a family home evening at the mission home. I served in the area near there. And I looked over and I saw this woman and all of a sudden, both of us just start crying. She was much older than me. She was probably in her mid fifties and Kagoshima-san, so that's her name was Mrs. Kagoshima, and I just knew that I knew her, and um, I had a blessing later that reminded me that I was meeting, serving, and sharing with people that I had known um, for a very long time prior to this this life. Yeah, and that was super powerful. To again, if you remember the fourteen-year-old struggling for meaning, mm. uh, I felt a lot of meaning in those experiences, just interacting with um, the Japanese people. That is so beautiful mm -hmm. and such a powerful experience to have a testimony. I feel like some people, it's hard to gain a testimony of life before this earth or life after this earth, just because it's so yeah. like incomprehensible yeah. so to have a testimony that is so beautiful. Yeah. What were some of the struggles that you experienced on your mission? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> So many. I remember when my um, stake president in California set me apart, he said, you know, your mission is compressed sanctification, <laughs> which I think is true. Um, the, I actually found interactions with fellow missionaries to be the most challenging. Um, people were, and it was actually the same for me my freshman year at BYU. I just, I wasn't used to the whole mix of intentions and motivations, I was like all in or not. Mm. And even among the missionaries, there were some who were in, somewhat in. Um, there could be jealousies, competition, those kinds of things that were kind of For surprising. Sure. And I think I also judge myself by the wrong things. Uh, the emphasis on baptisms and numbers and... Wow. To, to say you're successful, now I really would say the success comes into people feel my love. Yes. That's, that's me have, being a grown up kind of 
I wish that I had felt that more because I think there were really people that I tried to love, but I was always worried that I needed to push them a little harder than maybe they were needing to go. That makes sense. Yeah. I love that sentiment of like love. And I mean, it reminds me of like the bracelets that people wear and it's like, what would Jesus do? He would love first. And so I love, and I think it's so hard for people to not think about numbers when Mm -hmm. they're on a mission because some missions definitely emphasize it more than others I've heard and I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it can, like you said, almost like detract from the work because you're like, not like listening less to the spirit, but you're focusing more on a number instead of this like soul that you're trying to show the love of God to. So yeah, I think I think it's tricky to lead a mission because again, you have a real mix of motivations and kind of levels of motivation why people are there and kind of where they are at. So some for some maybe it really helps to have like a really definite goal. For me, I was already hard on myself, so I didn't need more tools to be hard on myself. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. that's, that's just for me personally. No, no, that totally makes sense. Um, tell me a little bit about what it was like for you to come home from your mission and how you continued to find a purpose outside of missionary work. Oh, yeah. Um, coming home, like I was I was very quiet. My, I live with my sister, and she would always tease me. She's like, you're just so quiet now. What happened to you? I said... Well, it's a lot quieter in Japan generally, but I was just observing people. Um, What really helped was um, I got a job at the um, Provo MTC teaching Japanese. So I had a bridge for the experiences I'd had and like a continued way to serve and find meaning. And then I also lived at the French house. Wow. (laughs) I've spoken French since I was a little girl. So I would, I would go teach at the MTC. Like one summer I taught morning and afternoon at the MTC in Japanese. And then I would go home and I'd have to speak French. And, um, I got to know just amazing, really interesting people from all over the world who are members of the church. Yeah. And so I think I found meaning in a lot of my relationships. I still was kind of figuring out what I wanted to study, you know, for sure. Mm -hmm. But, um, I love that balance of teaching at the MTC, you know, experiencing and motivating. I, lo- I love to teach. That's probably when I feel yeah. close myself. So, wow. That is so fun. I've heard so many good things about the foreign language housing. My mm-hmm. mom actually also lived in French housing um, when she was at BYU and she just always raves about her experience. And one time I went to the foreign language housing ward and just like the spirit there is so beautiful because it's like people different cultures coming together mm-hmm. like congregating in a yes. uh, community of Christ and I just love it so much yeah yeah that was really a great experience for me that's so fun um how did you end up deciding what you wanted to do with your <laughs> career um, I'm and how did laughing. Christ play a part in that it's been such a long process um <laughs> so I didn't quite know what I want I I graduated in French and anthropology and as you know, with those two jobs, if you of those two majors, if you don't want to teach, you're kind of in a quandary. Mm. So I worked, I went back home for about a year and then I went to graduate school at the University of Chicago and I studied international policy. 
And I had thought I wanted to become a professor at that time, but I still, I just wasn't, I couldn't find anything that I wanted to study for five years, you know, for a PhD. So mm. I went to Washington, D.C., and I worked um, doing research there in a series of wild events. Um, I had a job in D.C. that I didn't like, although I loved living in Washington, D.C. And when I needed to leave the job I was in because it was just not a good situation, um, in faith, I quit that job. And I was like, I don't know what's next, but let's see. And I got a call within about maybe a week or two after I'd kind of announced that I was leaving from a friend back home who actually had been the girl that I had lived with when I thought I wanted to live, leave BYU, but she's oh. the one that my friend had suggested that I live with. She said, you know, if they're, they're, this company is looking for someone who speaks French and wants to travel to Africa. And I was like, I'm your girl. I'm the yeah. girl. So, Within, I mean, through phone interviews, um, I packed up my car and I drove by myself um, from Washington, D.C. back to California. And I started a job um, and it, I traveled around the world and worked for a big company and had some really powerful experiences um, meeting with people from all over the world. Mm, I'm sure. How has like understanding different cultures affected your testimony? Oh, so much. Yeah. So um, I've traveled a lot. Like recently I was in um, Kosovo with a friend and we went to church there and I love seeing, I've, I've been raised to, to look for, like to believe like we're all brothers and sisters mm. uh, through learning languages. That's really helped me too. Um, I had a, actually, let me, I'll share a specific experience. Um, uh, I recently went to Albania, so I flew into Albania and I was driving down to uh, an academic conference in Athens and I had brought two Albanian Book of Mormons with me and two Greek Book of Mormons because I wanted to give those away. And um, in Albania, I was at the first place that I stayed and it's a big city. Tirana is the capital of Albania and I don't know how many million people live there, but it's a big city. And uh, I walked, I was just walking across the street before I was going to drive to the south of the country to, I was just going over to get an, to the ATM. And I didn't find it coincidence that I had just given the fa the host family a book of Mormon and the, guess who drove by on bikes? <laughs> it was, it was the two elders in the city oh, really? of millions. And I just shared with them, you know, who I had shared the book of Mormon with and they, you know, were going to follow up. Wow. Um, that is so cool. Yeah. It's, it's, I love, again, like I don't just do it because it sounds like a good idea. I just feel the spirit. Once I, once I start acting, then I, then I have really rich emotional experiences with the people that I'm helping or working with. Yeah, for sure. I'll just tell you one more story. Cause this is yeah. like kind of a lot of how my, how God has taught me. I was, so I was down in the South of Albania and I had the one more book of Mormon and I knew who I wanted to give it to. It was this young man in his twenties um, who spoke pretty good English, who was working um, in the family business at this hotel. Yeah. And I prayed about it. And then I brought the book of Mormon to him. I'd circled with my experience in Japan. I knew how to find all the scriptures, even though it's in a different language. And 
I, I showed him, I said, I, I really, I'd like to share a book with you. And he said, oh, is this, is it about Jesus? Cause he could read that part of the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And I said, yes. And he says, oh, I love the Bible. And again, this is a highly Muslim country that had been under communist rule. Mm. And I just said, I, I shared my favorite scripture, which is Mosiah 241, which talks about God blessing us with never ending happiness. Mm. And um, we just both cried. He said, he, he sincerely said, this is the best gift that anyone has ever given me. And um, totally different countries, different ages, different religions, but he just felt like my brother in that moment. And I love, so I like to keep having those experiences where I feel like my life matters, the other person's life matters. And it doesn't, it just doesn't feel like coincidence. Dang, that is so beautiful and so cool. So I want to ask you a few questions about advice based off of your life experiences. Um, What advice would you give to a young 13, 14 year old who's struggling in their own way with um, whatever trial it may be, but like more specifically what you've struggled with, like anorexia and like eating disorder, um, mm-hmm. how would you recommend that they use Christ to get out of their trial? Yeah, I think, well, like I said, I didn't know at the time that Christ was helping me, mm. but I did really pray. I think we often pray and we think we have to say it in a certain way or a certain time and I learned to just talk to God. Yeah. To say, I'm feeling this way. This is where, like, and sometimes people would come in and kind of answer my prayers. We often talk about that in the church that usually, you know, prayers are answered by the, you know, through other people. But what's interesting, I feel like in my case, there were several moments where there wasn't anyone there. It was like very clearly just this feeling of like deep love and being understood so one really pray um but pray like you talk normally if you can kind of in that private way and then the other is i really needed some of those other adults in my life that were not just my parents um sometimes praying that those people will be sensitive to you or just even asking like i remember going to some of my friends parents who are members of the church that i really respected and I would talk with them like I, when I was like kind of being feisty and, you know, didn't want to, this was later when, like when I was about 16, 17 and I was like, ah, I don't want to go to BYU or whatever. And <laughs> I re- I talked, I, I got it all out. Like I yeah. laid out all my arguments and my friend's mom was, she was pretty funny. She was like, I think those are dumb arguments. <laughs> like It was just <laughs> funny. Like she wasn't being dismissive, but I, I didn't hold it all inside. Yeah. I think I held too many things inside. And so we need to be authentic with God. And then we need to be authentic with trusted individuals who have earned our trust. Does that make sure. sense? Yeah, no. That with totally parents, makes sense. if you can, and sometimes with your parents, you can't. But I'm guessing there's at least one other adult that really cares about you. And even just saying, hey, I just need you to listen. Because that's what I needed from God. I'm like, I just need you to listen. And like, and I, because I wasn't having people in my life that maybe were able to do that at the time. Yeah, I completely echo your sentiments. I love 
to pray just like I'm having a conversation with God Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like never in like a disrespectful way it's like in a I like want to feel a more personal connection with God and so Mm -hmm. I am engaging with him in a way that I feel like I can better express my emotions and then I also agree sometimes it's really hard to go to your parents with um like struggles or trials that you're having just because they definitely like have a biased perspective they like care about you and then they have their own you know Mm -hmm. as to their parents they have their own beliefs about how you should live your life and so going to like church leaders or yeah like friends parents that you respect Mm -hmm. is so so helpful so I love that advice um what advice would you give to somebody who is struggling to understand Jesus Christ Wow. So what was interesting, like, I actually remember bearing a testimony before I went to Israel. And I actually, in my testimony, not saying you should do this per se, but I said, I'm not sure. I don't really know. Like, so to kind of like, again, I think being honest, even if you're not like, it's not a public forum, but like, write down some of your questions. Like, I think oftentimes we give up a little bit too early. Like, I think there's patience kind of plays into it also. Yeah. I mean, I had those questions about Christ for a while. And then it was when I was in the act of following the spirit, because I knew the spirit. I knew, like, I, I guess I would, so first is have experiences of the spirit and figure out how you feel the spirit. And it's, it is kind of different for everybody. But I, even when I'm recounting my story today, it, that same spirit comes back to me. So maybe record your experiences. Yeah. And then when you have further questions, ask them, but ask them with the hope that there's an answer or that at least you'll have some kind of confirmation to go further or to not worry about it. Um, I don't like to shove things under, you know, I, I, I'm pretty persistent. But I think that persistence is needed yeah. um, to really know him. There's a scripture, I wish I could paraphrase it, but it's in Jeremiah, where the idea is, seek for me and you shall find me if you seek for me with all of your heart. Mm. And I think I've needed to be pushed a little bit to seek for him with all of my heart. Yeah. No, that's so beautiful. And I think another kind of idea that was echoed in actually the last podcast episode, Jonathan Brindley talked about um, having responsibility in like gaining a testimony of different things. Mm -hmm. So like when you do gain a testimony of Jesus Christ, it's like now a lot more serious because like now not acting in Christ-like ways or like not using the atonement Mm -hmm. is denying your testimony that you have of Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ. Mm -hmm. And so like when you say, like attack it with like a full, like your whole heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes so much sense to me because it's not a casual thing. Like gaining a testimony mm-hmm. is um, a salvific endeavor, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I totally agree. And then my last question yes, is what advice would you give to somebody who's struggling to gain a testimony? First, I would say... Um, Just like your relationship with God is personalized, special, and unique, meaning even if you don't have it yet, but that's what it's going to be, learn from examples of others, but also seek out your own 
like you're carving out a relationship. I guess seeking a testimony is not just understanding a concept. It's yeah. building a relationship with holy beings. And it's kind of like, say, uh, you know, you and I, Amelia, we're just getting to know each other. I've shared a lot of things that are personal, but I haven't shared all of them. It's like kind of goes in a, like it's a, a spiral, like of getting yes. closer and closer. So think of your testimony. Like you have, some people have a testimony of being honest. They like know that if they're not honest, they just feel totally guilty. Mm. That's like a testimony of the need to be honest. Yeah. And so sometimes we think we start with nothing, but we actually may have like even the value of service. We know that when we serve other people, in the church, even if we don't have this really strong testimony of God the Father yet, you're like, when I do this, I feel like a good human being. Mm. And so start and acknowledge the basis you have of the good principles that you've been taught. And then just, again, like, like my praying, like maybe you don't hear a voice or you don't have a vision, but you just feel this gentle sense of someone listening to you. Um, it's a private endeavor, but it also there are people around you that you could probably relate to if you kind of try to seek out. So I, I've had spiritual mentors for sure, both in and outside of the church. Wow, that's beautiful. And I, I love all of the advice that you gave. I loved interviewing you today. All of your like life experiences and your stories and all that were so powerful. I like was almost brought to tears multiple times <laughs> during this conversation. I loved it so much. And I hope the people listening were, you know, feeling this fear along with us and definitely take your advice and put that into action. So thank you so much for being vulnerable and open. Thanks. Thank you so much for letting me interview you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Amelia. Thank you guys so much for listening to that episode. I'm so grateful that I got to have that conversation with Emily she really does like my favorite part is that she just had so many good stories in her back pocket and I think I mean she just has those really really powerful miraculous experiences and she clearly was carrying that spiritual momentum with her and just like very sensitive to promptings and I mean I'm just so grateful that she was able to articulate the spirit in that way um, I hope you guys listen to her advice and definitely follow. I agree with like so much of it. And it's so funny, like when she was telling her story, I was like, that is crazy how similar it is to mine, especially the part of when she talks about how she started with reading the Doctrine and Covenants that just hits so close to home. Cause I mean, I did the same thing when I first, you know, had my own like personal conversion. I was like, you know what? I failed so many times reading the Book of Mormon, I'm gonna try reading the Doctrine and Covenants and it totally spoke to me. So that part of the story was crazy to hear her have the same experience. Um, for updates on when new episodes come out, follow the podcast Instagram at gain underscore uh underscore testimony and email or DM me for any suggestions or ideas. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time.